Well, hello, my name is Garrison. I'm on the leadership team here at Steadfast. If this is our first time meeting, I'm so glad that you're here. It's good to see some familiar faces as well as some new ones. Um, so we've been in a series on the Holy Spirit, and this morning uh, is the moment then that probably a lot of you have been waiting for. We're going to be having a conversation around the spiritual gifts. Woo! Some of you guys are shaking in your boots right now, like, oh my gosh, I thought this was going to be like a Bible church. We are, we're word and spirit. If you're about the Bible, then you have Spirit because the Bible is about the Spirit. Um, but uh, we've held off. We've been in this series for now 11 weeks. This is the 12th week. And we've held off on this conversation for a number of ways, for, for a number of reasons. When talking about the Holy Spirit's empowering in our lives, on a street level, it's often we start with the gifts. And, and, and we wanted to make for sure that there's a, um, there, there's a foundation for us before we engage with this conversation, right? We wanted to talk about who the Holy Spirit is, how he actually impacts our lives, how we relate to him, how we engage with him, before we start talking about all the other stuff that everybody gets really excited about. It enables us to lay a foundation because the Holy Spirit just it not just a force. Yeah. It's not just this thing that we wield and that we conjure up in our lives. He's a person. He has personality. And, and, and we wanted to be able to relate to him before going into this conversation. And two, now that we've spent talking about the Holy Spirit, about theology and all these things, hopefully that's enabled us to engage with this conversation of spiritual gifts with a solid understanding of like the whole idea of the Holy Spirit, right? That we, we're able to now go, oh, now that I have all of this, I can take everything that we've talked about so far and then apply it to what, we've talk, or what we're talking about today. And, I, and if you haven't heard any of the other messages, if you're just now joining us, I'd highly encourage you to go onto our podcast because it's going to be helpful in light of our conversation today. And it, like, we're still building foundations, right? We're a brand new community. Like we launched here on Easter and we started in house church about a year ago, literally a year, maybe today. Like, I think it was like mid-July when we started in house church, which is insane. I didn't think about that till just now. Wow. Um, and I think it's important for us to express that we want to be a community that's eager for this stuff. We want to see the Holy Spirit and his power be moving through all of us, not just in Sunday gatherings, but out in the streets. I genuinely believe that the Lord has something for this community, that he's stirring something in all of our lives individually, but also collectively. He has a mark for us. There's a lampstand that he's placing in this community that will enable us to be a light to Pasadena, to Los Angeles, to this nation and the world. And, and it's important as we lay foundations to recognize that this is, we're about this. We're about the stuff of the Holy Spirit. We're eager for this. The goal for this morning is to lean into a, a specific passage in 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul addresses this topic thoroughly, and he gives us some practical, practical advice on how to engage with it. But not only that, but how to enjoy them as a community. So are you guys ready to dive in? Yeah, maybe a little nervous. But stoked. Cool. Sweet. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 13. Let's read the whole thing real quick. And yeah, uh, sometimes the air blows my Bible, so I'm going to come over here. Um, starting in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. 
You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one is speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for to one is given through the spirit of utterance of wisdom, and another an utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each individually as he wills. This is the word of the Lord. There is a lot that we're going to unpack, so just stay with me as much as you possibly can. So verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. First off, those two words, spiritual gifts, are actually one word in the original language. It's the word pneumatikos. I think I put it up there. You guys say pneumatikos with me. The P is silent, so it's pneumatikos. Sweet. Okay, so, which is a roughly difficult word to translate in the sentence. Why? Because the word gift actually isn't in the sentence. We have an adjective without a noun to modify. So more literally, the sentence reads, now concerning spirituals. So, pneumatikos is an adjective that just means spirituals. Some scholars translate that as spiritual things, spiritual people, but another translation that I really like that's from a, a, a professor slash scholar up in the Northwest calls it the stuff the spirit does. So I like that, right? But most translate it spiritual gifts into our Bibles because they don't really know another word that more or language or phrase that gets at what Paul is trying to describe in this moment. So it's okay for us to use that language of spiritual gifts. But it's important to recognize that the literal phrase spiritual gifts, those two words, pneumatikos and uh, charismatos, which is the word for gifts, are never put next to each other in the New Testament. That phrase does not exist in the New Testament. And now, again, we can use the, the phrase spiritual gifts. It's like, don't get, don't get caught up in semantics. But I think what we need to recognize is that there's a lot of culture around the concept of spiritual gifts, some of the ways that we approach them, or the expectations or preconceived notions that we bring into it, enable us to almost, like, it forces us to impose things into the text that may not actually be there. And, and this means that as we continue, some of our preconceived notions might get a little jostled. We might start to experience some tension as we continue to read this. And if we're challenged a bit, that's okay. Just stay with me to the end. Now, concerning spirituals, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. That's funny. <laughs> 2,000 years later, and we're still pretty much uninformed, right? <laughs> Not much has changed, but God wants us to be informed about this stuff. Literally, the, the term, the opposite of this term is experiential knowledge. So he wants to give us insight into something. See, it's, it's one thing to have passion for the spiritual things. To be eager for them in that way. 
We can be eager all we want. And an eagerness is really important, and we're going to talk about that later in the message. But eagerness might create a spontaneous combustion in our lives towards the spiritual things. We might experience it haphazardly, and those are beautiful moments. But insight, the opposite of being uninformed, that creates an intentionality. We don't just want spontaneous combustion. We want intentional engagement. We want to lean in and be engaged, not just eager, right? And there definitely is a mystery to this stuff, so don't get me wrong there. Like, there's some component to it that we might not just understand. It's the Holy Spirit. Remember John 3, the wind blows as it wishes. So it is with the Spirit and the people who the Spirit chooses to blow through. Like, he does what he wants. So there is a mystery. But we're not supposed to navigate this whole thing blindly. Verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols, or to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one is speaking in the spirit, no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, he's not talking about the literal statement, Jesus is accursed, or Jesus is Lord. Obviously, anybody can say those, those specific words. He's getting at something deeper here. Paul starts out his understanding and information about the spiritual gifts by contrasting light and dark. He's talking about idols and paganism, and cursing Jesus. And then in contrast, like, Jesus is Lord and the Holy Spirit. We live in a culture that prides itself in being spiritual. Like, people engage with spirituality in a number of ways, whether that's overtly, like, engaging with spiritual deities, or it's more subtle and underneath the surface through conversations around energy and crystals and the universe. Or maybe it's more of a subconscious thing for us, Like, most of us on the street level all agree that we're not just physical beings. There's a spiritual component to our lives. But in our society, the spiritual world is welcomed and accepted. But not all spirituality is good. And Paul gives us a litmus test. He says, no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Paul is making it clear That if it doesn't point to Jesus, if Jesus isn't the source and the goal, if if it's not submitting to Jesus' lordship, then it's not of the Spirit. If Jesus' beauty isn't revealed in this, if it's not of him, then it's not the Holy Spirit. And once he's addressed this, he gets into the good stuff. So verse 4. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Varieties, 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 Spirit, Lord, God. He's explaining the stuff that the Spirit does, works itself out in a variety of ways through the people of God, but all come from the same source, same Spirit, same Lord, that's Jesus, and same God. So God the Father, the Lord, or God the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. The theological term for that is Trinity. So like this is a Trinitarian reality, that God, Son, and Holy Spirit are all one, but 
three different persons. And if that's confusing to you, it's because it is. <laughs> but it's a, it's a conversation that we're supposed to engage with. But it's not just an idea that Christians have that we hold up like in our, in our heads. This is actually a reality that we live into. And, and Paul is trying to explain this to us. The spiritual gifts, if we want to call them that, the spirituals, the stuff the Spirit does, is drenched in a Trinitarian reality. In the same way that Father, Son, Holy Spirit are all the same, they're one, he's trying to create a comparison here. That all the gifts come from the same source, which means no one gift proves value or worth over another. The point of the text, the source is the same. And he offers three categories to describe that same thing. First, he says gifts. That word gift is simply just that, it's the word gift. And it can be described as any ability you have, acquired ability or natural talent, that the spirit can pick up, breathe on, animate for the purpose of continuing the ministry of Jesus. That might start to shake you up a little bit. Just read it again. Any ability that you have, acquired ability, natural talent, that the spirit can pick up, breathe on, animate for the purpose of continuing the ministry of Jesus. What do we say to someone when they're really good at it? You have a gift. This means that if you're really good with numbers, that you might have the spiritual gift of accounting. This means that someone could have the spiritual gift of plumbing. This means that someone could have the spiritual gift of X, Y, Z, whatever it is. Any ability that you have, acquired ability or natural talent, can be picked up, breathed on, animated for the purpose, that's important, of fulfilling the ministry of Jesus, pointing people to him, testifying with your life, with your action, that Jesus is Lord. See, there's no distinction in the scripture between natural and supernatural, but we like to do that in our culture. We like to say that spiritual gifts are only that and that all the other stuff isn't. No, the Spirit wants to breathe on your life. The next one is service. A place or a role or an office among the people of God where they're invited, called, or identified to serve. In Ephesians 4, it talks about some of these. It says apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Those aren't necessarily giftings towards people. It's actually like people or offices or roles that leaders are that they take up in the community. So pastors, worship teachers, evangelists, like a role like setting up chairs, coffee, any form, form of service inside the church or outside the church. But it's important to remember that the church is people. So any way that the church, the body of Christ functions to serve can be breathed on by the Holy Spirit. Activities, or some of your translations might say workings, this is a junk drawer phrase for anything that the Spirit can and will do in and through His people. Anything. That includes natural abilities that the Spirit breathes on, but it's definitely not just limited to that. In reality, the Bible doesn't give that distinction, and we need to recognize that. The idea here is that there is so much that the Spirit wants to do through us, and that's, that there's all kinds of things that the Spirit will animate in our lives. So what does this mean? One, all of us are invited to play. Every single one of us is invited to be empowered by the same Holy Spirit. Every single gift matters to God. There's not one that matters or is of more importance to him over the other. Two, there's no one thing that the Spirit does that proves status over the other, right? Just as the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we've talked about that, are one. And three, that means that there's latent potential in this room. 
that he wants to breathe on your life. That he wants to pick up components of who you are. That there are wells hidden underneath the surface of our lives that the Holy Spirit wants to break open. What might the Holy Spirit want to breathe on in your life? How might your ordinary, everyday life be empowered by the Holy Spirit to continue the work of Jesus? How is God empowering you to serve, to serve this church? When you take the responsibility to fold chairs, run slides, feed the hungry, live generously, serve your coworker or your family or serve in any capacity in any way, there's an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to breathe on that. I may be wrong here, but I get this sense that we long for the next in our lives because we think that the next is actually going to bring us life, fulfillment, wholeness. Maybe we think that the next is where the Holy Spirit wants to breathe in our lives. And it may be completely true, right? The Holy Spirit may want to, and probably does want to breathe on your next. But sometimes we get so, oftentimes we get so connected and focused on the next that we lose focus of the now. And God wants to breathe on your now, in your moment, in this very present moment. He wants to animate your life with hope, love, joy, peace, grace. He wants to fill your life. God has been animating so much here. And it's been beautiful to behold and be a part of. But there's so much more he wants to activate. There's so much more he wants to stoke in the midst of our community. And I want us to be excited about that. I want us to anticipate and create a cult cultivate an awareness, a desire to lean in. Continue reading with me. It says, to each, verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That word manifestation means to reveal or unveil. It's the Spirit revealing himself among the people of God through the people of God to the world. A manifestation is the Spirit saying, here I am. I'm here, I'm among you, I'm present with you. This isn't Paul telling the Christians to manifest their own reality, right? Manifestation of the Spirit. Not you're doing the manifesting, he is. Using massively broad terminology, he's saying that anytime the Spirit can reveal himself in profound ways through and among the people of God for the common good, for human flourishing, not for self-actualization, or for solidifying your own identity, not for personal gain, for the common good for others, for this community. Dr. B Gary Brashears at Western Seminary in Portland defines manifestations this way, an eruption of spirit activity or empowerment in any believer at any time. I love that. It's got this like excitement to it and this power to it. An eruption of spirit activity or empowerment in any believer at any time. Or there's another trend, or another like definition of spiritual gifts that Wayne Grudem gives in his systematic theology. He says, any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. There's a lot of any's here, right? Like there, there's supposed to be this broad sense of understanding to what's going on. Like the Spirit wants to pick you up. He wants to flow through you in natural and supernatural ways. If we're going to use that terminology. Verses 8 through 10. Next, Paul lists off nine different manifestations of the Spirit. Some of the, the kooky ones, 
some might say, right? Some of the more supernatural components. And most scholars don't think that this is an extensive list. There are four different gifts lists in the New Testament here in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and then some scholars argue there's a few in 1 Peter 4. And um, there, that creates about 20-something different gifts, uh, but none of those scholars think that those are extensive, that that's not an extensive list. There, there's a little bit of overlap in e- each of them, but the consensus on a scholarly perspective is that this isn't the extensive list. It's just, it's just a suggestion. Probably Paul is just listing off a handful in our, um, in our verses here in 1 Corinthians 12 uh, just to list off a few. Maybe they were present in the Corinthian church. Maybe they had questions about them. But the point is there is, er, like, there is more available to us. Bottom line, these are not the only ways that the Spirit moves, but these are the kinds of ways that the Spirit wants to move. And I just want to walk through some of these gifts listed here and then give you as many examples as we have time for. These definitions aren't original thoughts. I've pieced together some things from what we see in the scriptures, some different scholars and commentaries, and then some experiences from myself and the people here in this room. So let's start with the first one. Are you ready? Here we go. Words of wisdom. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. A word of wisdom is a message or a word to somebody else from the Spirit through you to help them navigate life or a situation. Now, we all need wisdom, right? Like, are you with me? <laughs> yes, we all, we all need wisdom. Everyone needs wisdom at different points in their lives for different circumstances. And a lot of the times, this is enough. Right? Like, oh man, should I murder that person? It's right here. Or maybe like you're dating someone and that person is, is engaged, um, or not engaged literally, but you guys are engaged as far as like emotionally, relationally, things are going well. And you're, you're just loving life in this season and your significant other asks you, hey, would you want to move in with me? You don't need a word of wisdom for something like that. It's right here. But let's say that you guys do end up getting married. You move in with each other. You have a few kids. You're living in Los Angeles. And um, you're trying to decide if you want to have another kid, right? And you don't know if that kid, or if you're going to be able to afford it. You're living in the city. You have a small apartment. There's a lot of variables at play. In that moment, you might need wisdom. And it's important to recognize, or a word of wisdom, Wisdom isn't necessarily experience, though, like regular wisdom, right? I can't tell you how many times Meredith and I heard someone tell us before Eloise came around, uh, you'll understand once you have children. (laughs) But the problem is, Eloise is here six months in, and I'm pretty sure I still don't understand. (laughs) Wisdom is an experience. It's what you do with that experience that will make you wise. But sometimes the Spirit will animate a particular wisdom to an individual for something or for someone. And it has this way of just piercing through the noise. The other Sunday we were in pre-gathering prayer 
And we do this thing where, like, either at the beginning or the end, we try to run through, just do a rundown of the Sunday so that we're all aware and on the same page of what's going on. And a, a question about logistics came up during the rundown, and there was a little bit of, like, back and forth discussion. We were all trying to figure it out. And then Kevin spoke up, and you should have seen everybody's faces. Everybody was like, oh, yeah, wow, thanks, Kev. He spoke a word of wisdom. Now, Kev is extremely strategic, but he didn't really have any uh, like strategy to offer us in that moment. I mean, he very well could have given us strategy, but that's not what he said. He said a simple truth that when applied to that situation seemed to bring insurmountable amount of clarity. That's a word of wisdom. The spirit flowed through him. And it created this like peace in the rest of the moment. Everyone was like, oh yeah, okay, cool. We can keep moving. And you might be asking, is Kev just wise or was that a spiritual gift or a word of wisdom? Yes. Remember that the definition, any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. Guys, this is what the Spirit does. He wants to minister through us, through things like words of wisdom. Keep reading. And to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. So a word of knowledge. This kind of bleeds up and through from the last one. But instead of it being a word of wisdom, it's a message to someone else from the spirit through you that only they could know. We see this in the life of Jesus. If you think about the woman at the well, right? You're right in saying that you have no husband. And the person that you're sleeping with now is not your husband. In fact, you've had five husbands. How did he know that? Through the power of the Spirit. Like, we see this early on, okay, early on in our dating relationship, Meredith and I lived in Nashville, and there was this one moment where we were going to dinner, and um, I picked her up, we're in Nashville, we're driving to dinner, and in passing, I mentioned a thought to her that I had earlier on in the day, that God watched her tithe, and he was proud of her. Simple as that. And her jaw drops. And she goes, what? No. Turns out she had set up online giving for the first time to our church that we were going to that day. And there was no way for me to know that. She hadn't shared any of that information. God just simply wanted to reveal his heart to her. He just wanted to say, I'm, I'm proud. This is a word of knowledge. It comes in different forms and in different ways. And oftentimes I think there's been an abusive like, component to it. Because sometimes words of knowledge are accurate but are harsh or are like are, are hard to swallow because sometimes you see something that you couldn't have known about their lives and it's sensitive and if we're not careful to handle ourselves with grace in the midst of this and and engage humbly then it can it can create a lot of a lot of problems does that make sense but it's still there. A wor the words of knowledge, they occur. This is what the Spirit wants to do. This is the kind of stuff that the Holy Spirit wants to move through us. Next is faith. We have the gift of faith to another faith by the same Spirit. But doesn't everyone have faith? Doesn't every Christian need faith to be, to be a Christian? Well, yes, absolutely. But what we're talking about here isn't just saving faith. It's the spirit-empowered ability to believe in, with extraordinary confidence, the will and purpose of God for things. So when we asked uh, Kirsten and Devin to move and help us plant from Nashville, um, and they'd been there for what, like eight, ten years? 
10 years, it had become home. And we asked them to move, and we asked them to come on to the team part-time. And they're moving from Nashville to L.A. or Pasadena when everyone else is, it seems like they're moving from L.A. to Nashville. And that took a lot of faith. And when we asked them how they're going to supplement income and what's their plan, I mean, consistently, we'd get the response, we just think God's going to provide. I'd be like, okay, cool. That's the gift of faith. No, wait, do you guys want to add any more context to that? No. <laughs> and he has. Like, some of the stories are wild. It's nuts. But, I mean, that's the gift of faith. Now, it's important to recognize that faith isn't just believing that God will give you what you want. So another definition that I think is helpful in terms of that conversation is the gift of faith is a spirit-given ability to see something that God wants done and to sustain unwavering confidence that God will do it regardless of seemingly insurmountable obstacles. It's a good quote. When some of our mentors, Matt and Kristen, came and uh, shared with us at one of the worship gatherings before we launched on Sunday mornings, we did a handful of worship gatherings here to kind of build up and connect with the community. And one of the things that they shared with us is that they felt they were seeing that God was marking this church with faith. And they're talking about the gift of faith. There's been stories consistently in the last year where we've had to step out in faith not all of them have worked. <laughs> it's because we're not God. We hear incorrectly sometimes. But the practice of trusting him is, what, is, is how the gift of faith works. Perhaps the Spirit wants to impart faith in you for something or someone. Or maybe my daughter back there. Verse 9, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit. So the gift of healing. This is the spirit-empowered ability to serve as an intermediary for God to restore someone back to wholeness. Now I say wholeness because we need all kinds of healing. Physical, emotional, relational, spiritual, mental. And, and Jesus doesn't just want to heal part of you. He wants to heal all of you. But I want you to notice that this one like, phrase in the passage, if you open up your Bibles to it, it's uh, verse 9. This one little phrase is kind of interesting because of the language. It says, to another, that's singular, gifts of healing, that's plural, by the one spirit, singular. Now, sometimes the gift of healing is simply just interpreted as the gift to heal people as if we're 11 in the upside down or something like that. But, and nobody got that. I guess you guys don't watch Stranger Things. I feel like a nerd. Wow. Okay, got it. Uh, two of us. Um, but if I'm reading this correctly, then it's more of an ability to serve as God's delivery person for a gift of healing to someone else. It's less you have a gift to heal people and more you are giving a gift from God to someone else that heals. So healing can come naturally through talent. Remember we've talked about this, the acquired abilities. It can come through schooling, acquired ability, and the practice of medicine. And I, I genuinely believe God wants to breathe on our doctors for the purpose of the glory of Jesus. 
And the Spirit, wants, he wants to breathe on that. But also the Spirit will restore all things through Jesus Christ when he returns, when he wipes away every tear and all pain, brokenness, and evil will be gone when he returns. So he was in that way as well. But sometimes God wants to Amazon Prime a gift of healing and we're the ones driving the sprinter van. It's not you have the gift to heal. It's God gives a gift through you to somebody else. That's why like, in, like when you see healing done, a lot, oftentimes it's partnered with prayer. Right? It can be partnered through command because we have authority. Just like Jesus, he has given us authority through the power of the Spirit to say, bones, be healed. But oftentimes you see it in, in conversation with the Lord. It's a gift that we're giving Next verse, or next moment, it says, To another, the working of miracles. So this one is fun. Miracles are the spirit-empowered ability to perform any kind of activity that displays the power of God and alters the ordinary course of nature. That's pretty cool. I want to see more of this. Right? Like, we don't really, I mean, a lot of people argue that we don't see a lot of this in the, the West, and, and that's genuinely true, and I think that has a lot to do with the culture of industrialization and enlightenment and us thinking things are natural and supernatural, and so we're even, like, trivial. We, we don't naturally go to, oh, it's a spiritual thing that's happening in our lives. We go to a more logical thing that's happening in our lives. We explain everything away that way, and it keeps us from recognizing a spiritual world, and I think that has a part to do with it because we actually don't have faith for miracles. We don't believe that God actually works these ways. Like, we might be open to it, but we're not eager for it. In the scripture, it seems like the purpose of this gift is twofold. One, it's used to bring people to Jesus for the first time. Sometimes he'll show up and in a powerful and beautiful way and in weird ways sometimes, and it shows people the power and the beauty of God. And they're like, oh, I need, I, he's God, he's Lord, I want him. And then two, it's to build up, strengthen the courage and or faith of a believer. It's to set them free. There's so many moments where we see this stuff in the Bible, Jesus turning the water into wine, Joshua commanding the sun to stand still, Jesus raising people from the dead, Paul and Silas miraculously released from prison. In Acts 19, Luke describes the miracles that Paul is doing as extraordinary miracles. And I, I, I want to see this. I want to see more of this in our lives. Keep reading. To another prophecy. So, prophecy is the spirit-empowered ability to deliver truth sometimes of a, of a predictive nature or revealing a situational reality or word from God. It can come in the form of a word or a scripture or even a dream. Sometimes it looks like a reel or a short film playing in your head or in your mind's eye. It, it's not always like a movie that you actually see across the sky. It has a lot to do with what's going on in our mind's eye and how the spirit is directly connected to our minds and how he can animate our synapses and our programming and the chemical compounds in our brain to enable us to see things, think things, and envision and predict things the way that he can. And all of this is activated in the life of a believer and results in heart-transforming power. The power of God being released to build up in courage and comfort. Sometimes it can happen instantaneously in a moment, and sometimes it's prepared through thought and prayer and scripture over time. And we're seeing this more and more as a church community. 
We've seen this in our pre-gathering prayers. We've seen this in our encounter nights and on Sunday gatherings. We're seeing it happen all over the place. Now, during house church, there was this moment where the Lord was doing this weird thing where he would start highlighting people in the room to me. And I would ask them, hey, does God have anything that he's been saying to you? And there was this one time where he highlighted a particular person, and I asked them, and they were like, well, yeah, he actually is, shared it with me, and they uh, then shared that with the whole community. And I'm going to get the picture wrong. I'm, I'm off on exactly what the picture was. I couldn't remember, but you'll get the point. It was essentially a child in tension with their mother. And they shared that, and it turns out there were a number of people in the room that were having specific tensions with their mothers that, that, like, in that like, season of life. And in a safe environment, some of them opened up, the tears were shed, prayers were prayed, and there was this levity in the room the rest of the night. That's the gift of prophecy. Or last year, uh, Meredith, Kirsten, and Devin and I were with a group of leaders and pastors for a number of days. And there was this moment on the last day where I just had all of the feels. Um, I mean, and this is a sermon all on its own, so I'll make this brief. But if you know me, you know that I have a heart for raising up leaders and sending out church planters. It's this deep, deep desire to see people discovered, developed, and deployed and help them actualize and understand and enter into their actual identity and so that they can then be sent out to break new ground for the kingdom wherever that might be all over the world. That's, like, that's a burning desire in my heart. And though this is our first church plant, I've been involved with church plants for about 10 years now in different and various ways. And like, it's the, the thing that continues to come back and just grip my soul over and over again, just constantly. And at the end of our time with all of these pastors, this couple walks up to us after the, um, after the like three or four days, something like that. And they said, we've been praying through this. We're trying to discern whether or not this is from the Lord, but we think that God has given us something to share to you. All right. And so we're like, okay, we sit down and they just start reading our mail. And literally just before this moment, I was having a conversation with the Lord, just saying like, God, I will keep my hands open. I will send anybody out of this community that you want. Just continually bring me more. We will discover and develop and deploy people. Please, Jesus, use this community to send out church planters and leaders into the world. I was having that conversation with the Lord. And this couple comes up to all four of us. And right off the bat, they say, Garrison, God wants to lift your eyes to something higher than this. He's got something greater for you, and he is going to use you to raise up and release church planters and leaders across the globe, and they just continue to go on and on and on. They had no, they didn't know who we were. They were from England, and they had been in the States for like a week, and like, they literally did not know any of us, didn't know us from Adam, and they continued to encourage, continued to just like lift us up, read our mail, and speak prophetically into our lives. This is the gift of prophecy. It's God wanting to speak through his people. Now, I know that there's a lot of baggage with this one because people feel uncomfortable because they've hand, or someone has handled a prophecy incorrectly with them. Or maybe they've been waiting for something to come true for a long time and it hasn't. It's hard to engage with this one. But for now, we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. For now, I just want you to receive the encouragement that this is what the Holy Spirit wants to do through his people. This is the kind of stuff that the Holy Spirit does. Next is discernment. 
The ability given by God to perceive issues in terms of spiritual truth, to know the fundamental source of the issues, and to make judgments concerning those issues. So this includes both vertical discernment and horizontal discernment. Vertical discernment is the ability to recognize the spiritual forces that are involved in any particular issue. We have a friend named Jace who just moved to Nashville, classic, another dude that's moving to Nashville. Um, but he was involved in helping us get started a year ago, and um, he's from Thousand Oaks. And he, uh, he has this like crazy vertical discernment radar where you'll be having a conversation with him, and all of a sudden he'll be like, whoa, whoa, there's a dark spiritual presence in this room, hold on, pause, and he just starts praying and commanding the spirit to leave, and then he'll go back to whatever conversation you're in. And it's a little weird. You're like, did that do anything? Um, but there was one time that he walked in to, I mean, it did, right? But like, um, there was this one time he walked into our house where we were having church, and, and he just paused, and he pulled me aside, and he said, I think that people are carrying in some like weighty presence. Uh, and I don't, know, I don't know what it is, but it's not from the Lord. And people are walking in with it. It wasn't here before. Um, and it's a spirit of triviality. And, and it's keeping people from wanting to go deeper. And honestly, that's been like one of the things that we've worked through a lot as a community. Like it comes up over and over again. And it, and it just reminds me that there's not only a good spiritual force happening in this room, that this is contested space that the enemy does not want us to lean into Jesus. And if he can't keep you from coming to Jesus, he'll keep you from getting more of him. But there's also like horizontal discernment, and that's simply uh, a discernment that's the empowered ability to sniff out motives and get to the truth of the matter. Um, I mean, some people just have this crazy ability to watch and know truth or see motives you know, I call it, Meredith has a gift of discernment in both components, vertical and horizontal. She functions in this way a lot. And, like, it, she just knows motives so fast. It's, I call her the detective sometimes because it's just crazy. Her sniffer is strong. Um, and I get the sense that in our culture we need more of this gift, that we need people empowered to be able to recognize motives, to see truth. We need to ask and eagerly desire for the Spirit to manifest himself through us in these ways. Tongues. Simply put, the gift of tongues is the ability to pray, worship, or speak in a language unknown to the person speaking, whether that be in, get this, non-linguistic languages or simply an unknown language. So I, it seems to me in this conversation, the purpose and intended result of this gift, as I read it, is intimacy, and unity. So first, the non-linguistic tongues, and if that word tongues is scary to you, it, in the Greek it's literally just the word languages. So that should like lift some of it, right? But like non-linguistic tongues, languages, um, carries the purpose of cultivating intimacy with God. And don't ask me to explain all this completely right now. We'll get into this in the coming weeks. But the Spirit empower, will empower some people to pour out their hearts in ways that their words fail. It enables us to connect with God in intimacy in a profound way. And then the unknown languages enables cultural boundaries to be crossed. It's for unity. Like, 
when you begin to speak in a language that you don't know, that's an actual language here on earth, it enables you to connect with someone on a deeper level. Like, I was overseas um, a number of years back, and we went into this village. It was me, a translator, and another person, um, another, like, missionary with me. And we went into this village, went into a hut, and it turns out that the uh, dialect of the language of this particular village was completely different from what our translator knew. And it was so different that, he, that it was, they couldn't understand each other at all. So we walk into the, to the home, and we start trying to talk to them, and we realize nothing is getting across. It's like, what do we do? And I just felt the Spirit say, hey, I want you to talk to them in English. Start talking. So I start speaking. I walk through a couple Bible passages. I explain the gospel to them. Very simple. And the translator and the guy next to me are like, how did you know that language? And I was like, wait, what? Turns out the Spirit had empowered me in some weird way to be able to speak their dialect, and they heard everything that we said. It was this, this is the gift of tongues, and that created unity. Like, there was a disunity because of the language, right? And then there was a unity there. There was a connection. They wanted to know more. And then we found another translator. We figured out how to do it weeks later. Um, but, like, I mean, it activated this desire to connect for them to want to know more about whatever, like, spirituality I'm talking about, because it seems like that has power, right? So this is the gift of tongues, intimacy and unity. And then next is the interpretation of tongues. And I love that it puts those two together because in the intimacy component, you're offering a non-linguistic language to the Lord. And sometimes someone will be able to hear it in what they can understand. And, and they're able to communicate that tongue to, in a translation to the community so that everybody can enjoy the intimacy, the adoration, the gratitude, the thankfulness that we're lifting up to the Lord. There is a space for that in the church. He, the, the passage like expects it, assumes it. This is the stuff that the Spirit wants to do through His people. And He closes with this, this non-extensive list. He, he closes it with a beautiful verse, verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Meaning the Holy Spirit manifests himself in a number of ways as he chooses. We don't get to pick our gifts. No one spiritual gift will be across the board through everyone. Now I'd argue um, to a certain degree prophecy, because in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul explicitly says, um, he says, pursue love, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And then he continues on throughout 14, and there's this expectation and assumption that he has that the whole church is prophesying. So that, but the gifts are still, they're not universal. They're not, they're not going to be across the board through everyone empowered all the time. They're not universal, but every one of the things listed above and more is available to every believer. Because we all have, this, we all have the same Holy Spirit. The question is, are we opening our lives to be used in these ways? A typical definition of spiritual gifts that's been like, crafted over the last like 60 to 70 years since like the 1950s would be something like this. It's a specific ability from the Holy Spirit as a Christian. Everyone has at least one, and you might have one more or like a, a few, 
but everyone has at least one. And there are four lists in the Bible containing and compiling about 20-something different gifts. And you can, right now, true story, go online, go to a, a, a myriad of different spiritual gifts tests, take the test, and discover your own. Now, with all due respect, I think that's a little off. Now, that doesn't mean that it can't be helpful. You can argue that it can be helpful to a certain degree. And that doesn't mean that people who have that framework can't still operate in the gifts. Of course they can. Because it's the Holy Spirit that's empowering them. But it's a, it's a, I think it's an off perspective. I really don't think our passage and the other texts that we find, the other lists that we have in the New Testament, are meant to be taken and then fit into our culture of aptitude, enneagram, and personality obsession. I just don't see that in the text anywhere. What it seems like Paul is getting at is that this is what the Spirit does in the life of a follower of Jesus. This is what he can do. If you were a follower of Jesus, then all of the things that we just read and more are available to you. There are ways that the Spirit can function through you. You can potentially do all of it if the Spirit chooses. And it's not you get one gift, and maybe you get an extra one, and if you're lucky, you get, like, prophecy, and then the other person gets, like, helps, right? No, no, he's saying, no, you can potentially function through all of this. Now, it's obvious that some people function or operate in certain gifts more than others. So what's that about? I think that has to do with, one, the Spirit's prerogative, right? We've, talked, we've already said this. It's as he chooses. He's not a force. He's not, like, the wand that you wield in your hand. Like, he's not helping you cast spells of any sort. He's a person. And he chooses what, when, where, how, and who. But it's also about stewardship. The reality of the kingdom of God is that when God gives you something, he intends for you to steward it. Like, what ways have you seen the Spirit move? God probably wants you to steward that, to lean into it. What gifts or in what ways have you seen or heard or been around? There might be an opportunity for you to lean into that. Or maybe he's used you in, in supernatural ways before. Are you practicing that? Are you asking God to use you in that way again? It's about stewardship. Are you stewarding what God has already given you? As a Christian, this is the kind of stuff that the Spirit wants to do through you. God wants to partner with you in empowered ways to carry on the ministry of Jesus for the common good, for human flourishing. He wants to breathe on your life to serve one another. So what do we do with this? Well, two things. I think it's two paradigm shifts that need to take place based on our text. Um, The first one is from what is my gift to where is there a need? This text should not compel us to ask the question, what is my gift? That's that's the like spiritual gifts like test framework, right? But to simply ask, where is the need? Are you looking for a need? Are you recognizing where people need help? Are you seeing obstacles in your way? 
I believe that God wants to fill you and manifest himself through you where you recognize needs. Also, like, that's a good way of saying it. Where is there a need? Sometimes when we see needs or a shortcoming or something that's like not right or we think is not right within our communities or wherever it is, um, it creates anger in us. So sometimes the places that you're the most frustrated in church are often the places that God has empowered you. He's asking you to engage there. And there might be a manifestation of the spirit underneath the surface waiting to be unlocked in the midst of that space. So the first paradigm shift is from what is my gift to where is there a need. The second paradigm shift is from that's not my gift to God, I'm open and ready, would you use me? See, in the first paradigm, in the first structure of spiritual gifts, like we get, um, once we've discovered our gifts and then we see a need, it, we also say, eh, that's not how I function. So I'm not going to engage there. Or I don't have the gift of prophecy. Or like God's never used me to heal. So you don't pray. Or whatever it is, that's not my gift. To God, I'm open and I'm ready. Would you use me? I can't tell you how many times there's been moments, even with our community, where I feel completely incapable of helping someone in whatever circumstance they're in. That there's just, I, I'm like, I, I can't do anything, Lord. <laughs> like, you're going to need to intervene. Like, you got to come in. Lord, I, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to wait. Like, would you, would you move through me for them? And sometimes a word of knowledge will come. Or he'll open up a door through service in a way that blesses them or generosity. But it could not have been done on my own. It's a posture of, Lord, use me. Use me in this situation. So the two paradigm shifts. What is my gift to where is there a need? And then two, that's not my gift to God. I'm open and ready. Would you use me? Does that make sense? And I think for the most of us in this room, like, uh, we're probably in three different categories. There's the closed category. Like, I don't want any of this. Nope, nope. Like, this is weird. Like, I don't want this. And then there's the, the open category. Like, I believe in this stuff. Like, yeah, this is good. Like, I believe in it. But I, I may see it sometimes. I may not. And then there's the, the, the eagerly desiring category. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1 eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. That word desire isn't just a mental longing. It's like the kid who hasn't gotten their first car yet or the child who really wants a cell phone so they start looking them up on Google and showing their parents all of the time, hey, what about this one? Can we do this? Like, oh, look, I mean, look at all the details on this. Have you ever, do you remember doing that with your parents? Maybe some of you? Like the obsession? <laughs> like, how about this? And then, and then that's a gift that your parent gives. Sometimes, sometimes not, depending on whether or not they think it's healthy for you. An eagerly desiring, a seeking after, an understanding, a practicing, a leaning into. So closed, open, and eagerly desiring. I think that most of us, as a community, we're kind of moving from open to eagerly desire. Like, I, I just want to see the stuff that I believe in. I just want to like kind of do the stuff that I believe in. Like I read the scriptures and I'm like, that's there. So I want to, I want to see these things operate in our lives. And if that's you, then I just want to encourage you. 
to ask God, just ask him, hey, what is in the way of me eagerly desiring these things? What barriers in the way is it fear? Is it simply the old framework? Is it an apathy? Is it a past experience with the gifts? Is it how you grew up? Is it straight out resistance and disobedience? What is keeping you from stepping into eagerly desiring pursuit? Would you guys open your hands with me?